Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And here at FCBC, how do we say it, family? We live, we love, we serve. Amen. Listen, I want to draw your attention to a good resurrection, post-resurrection scene. I love this scene, John 20, the Gospel of John 20, 19 through 29. It's rather lengthy, but, but I love this scene. John 20, 19 through 29. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version of Scripture. I want to welcome all those who are watching us on live stream and welcome all our first-time visitors today to FCBC. First time. And all my, and all my, my, my Easter folk, God bless you. I ain't forgot about y'all. We, we thank God for you. Amen. It's just good to be in the house together on this Resurrection Sunday. So John 20, beginning at verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas it was called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of nails in, the, in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Amen. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you on today and we honor you, O God, for this moment, for this time together. God, we thank you on this Resurrection Sunday. For you continue to remind us of the power that you possess. But more than that, oh God, you continue to remind us that it is not over until you speak. So God, we celebrate resurrection hope, resurrection possibilities on today. We thank you, God, for how you continue to move in this space and in this place and how you continue to inspire us to show up every day as the best version of ourselves. We thank you and we honor you. And it's in your name we pray. 
Amen. Remain standing with me. Let me just read a portion of that from verse 24. But Thomas, who was called a twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor and just tell him, Neighbor, I'm qualified to worship. Come on, turn to your other neighbor. Tell him, Neighbor, I'm qualified to worship. Now put your hands together and give the Lord a... A hand clap of praise today. I'm qualified to worship, worship God. In that room on that day, if you could have peeked into that room, there were the disciples locked in to that room. It was, in some accounts, a gathering of the grieved, a meeting of the mourners, a, an, assemble, an assembly of, of the anguish. Their hearts were heavy because their friend, their leader, had been executed, murdered, killed, and they had not really imagined what life would be like after the death of the carpenter. They were gathered in that room together in many ways, not just grieving, but it was a, an interesting mixture of grief and fear. Grief because their hearts were heavy that, again, their friend, their teacher, their leader, was dead, but fear because in their minds they did not want what happened to him to happen to them. They're in their huddle, doors locked, for fear of what the religious leaders might conspire to do to them. And so while they are mourning and while they are in anguish and while they are grieving, they are also terrified at the possibility that their lives might end much like Jesus has ended. Can you see them in there? Here they were, those who had witnessed Jesus do the unimaginable and the miraculous. They had an eyewitness account and access to the power and presence and provision of God in ways that no one else had. They saw the power. They felt the power. They had encountered the power. They had experienced the power. But in this moment, post-Friday, they are terrified. And nothing they saw could prepare them for what they would feel in that moment when Jesus was crucified. They were there mourning, hurting, damaged, wounded, in the midst of their grief and fear, the scripture says that Jesus then appears. 
He appears out of nowhere. Although the door is shut and locked, he just appears. And when he appears, he speaks these words, peace be unto you. It is as if Jesus sensed their trepidation and their fear, and he speaks a word of peace to them. Peace be unto you. Do not be distressed. Do not be afraid. Do not worry about anything. I am here. Peace be unto you. He speaks words that were intended to calm their spirit, ease their anxiety, beat back their fear. Peace be unto you. These are not strange words from Jesus to them because they've heard this before. There was a time when they were all together on the boat and a great storm arose and they were terrified like they were then of the fact that they might die and Jesus was sleeping while they were perishing and they even said to Jesus in that King James Version, carest thou not that we perish? Jesus comes from his sleep, raises his voice and he says, peace be still. Those words of peace be still were not just the winds and waves. It was to them. It was to remind them that you have no need to be overwhelmed with fear when I am with you. You have no reason to be consumed with terror when I am with you. And he speaks it now post-crucifixion, sitting there with the marks in his hands and the mark on his side and the dried up blood even still visible. Peace be unto you. You thought they had the last word, but here I stand in your presence now in this moment. Peace be unto you. I cannot begin to imagine the level of excitement and joy they must have felt in that moment to actually see the one they thought was dead now standing in their presence, their leader, their teacher, the one who was the chosen one there again after they thought he was dead. I cannot again begin to imagine the excitement that must have been in them running through them to see him there in front of them in that moment and the joy had to be palpable it had to be something that was exuberant and they were excited there they were all 10 of them one had committed taking his own life by suicide and one wasn't there thomas thomas was not present thomas was not there I've said this before in the past, but it bears repeating now. Many of us have grown up knowing about Thomas in one way with two words, doubting Thomas. And that doubting Thomas comes from this scene where he seems to be doubting. But don't be too quick to label people so fast. Because here's what I've learned in my life. If you measure people by a moment, you miss the enormity of who they are. You can't just reduce someone to a moment. We all have those moments, do we not? Where if you catch us at the wrong time, on the wrong day, you might not like what you run into. You, you might not like who you encounter. We all have those blind spots in our lives where in so many ways the unthinkable could happen and we can be the ones. But, but don't be so quick to judge people and reduce people down to a moment. Or in this age, don't reduce them down to a 15-second clip on social media and think that you know somebody because you saw them for 10 seconds and you think you got access to who they are. No, Thomas is not a doubting disciple. I would submit that Thomas might be the most believing of all the disciples. Go back and look at the record in John 11 when they were getting ready to go to Bethany where Lazarus had died and the disciples were terrified of going back to Bethany because the last time they were there, the religious leaders conspired to try to kill Jesus. They didn't tell Jesus, the disciples that is. They say, 
teacher, do not go. Do not go back. Last time we were here, they tried to kill us. And he had already told the disciples that Lazarus was asleep. And their response was, well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up on his own. Ain't no need for us to go back there. Because they're afraid. But it's Thomas who then says this. Look at Thomas. He says, no, we're going to go with you. And let's go with him. Because if they're going to kill him, then they're going to have to kill us too. That's Thomas. Go to 11, John, John 14, when Jesus is preparing them for his departure. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And where I go, you will know. You will come and be with me. Who it is to start speaking, Thomas. He said, we don't know where that is you're talking about. And what's the way to go? Because wherever you go, we're going. And that's when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the same Thomas who has been reduced in history to doubting Thomas. And in chapter 11, he's courageous. In chapter 14, he's faithful. But all of a sudden, in chapter 20, we reduce him to being doubting Thomas. And the truth is, if you really want to know, he ain't doubting. He's suspicious. What do you mean? What is he suspicious of? Ten of those disciples were locked in the room, afraid of what could happen to them. But Thomas ain't with them. You're going to get that in a second. They're afraid, locked up in the room, but Thomas ain't with them. He's not operating in fear. In some ways, Thomas's heart is probably heavy. He's grieving. His friend, the one he was willing to die for and die with, is gone. And Thomas is not afraid like them. They find Thomas. And they tell Thomas, Thomas, we've seen him. He's alive. We saw him for ourselves. We saw him, Thomas, with our own eyes. And what does Thomas say? No. Unless I can put my finger in his hands and touch his side, I won't believe. Now, hold on for a second. His doubt, Alicia, and his lack of belief has nothing to do with Jesus, but it has everything to do with those who were the witnesses. You need to get that. Why would he take the word of fearful men? Why? I mean, if they are in there afraid and he's not, he's clearly not in the same space as them. He is listening to people who were afraid tell him what they saw. Can I just tell you, he didn't doubt Jesus. He doubted them. He doubted their testimony. He doubted their words. And there's something in there because it's a, it's a, it's a, very, it's a very unusual thing when you begin to follow the direction of fearful people. Oh, you'll experience that in your life at some point where you, you find yourself at times surrounded by people who are overtaken by fear. And isn't it amazing how sometimes the fearful want to also be the leaders? The idea of following fearful people who live in fear, operate in fear, talk in fear, do everything through fear, and then want you to follow them in their fear. So that you can then be overtaken by the same feelings and emotions they're overtaken with. And Thomas is like, no, no, I won't believe anything you all say because I am not made of the same stuff y'all made of. Every chance along the way, you all were afraid. But in this moment, I'm not afraid. And I wasn't afraid. 
but you all were. And here's what Thomas says, until I have an experience for myself, I will not believe what you all have told me. A week later, Thomas is in the area. He shows up by the house. And who appears? Jesus. Peace be unto you. And Jesus this time makes a beeline for Thomas. Thomas, come here. Put your hand in my hands. Touch my hands. Touch my side where they pierce me. And Thomas touched the hands. Thomas touched the side. And then Thomas started to worship. He said, my Lord and my God. He begins to worship in that moment. Now, here's what I want to say to you, and I'll let you go to your Easter brunch. <laughs> what happened? Thomas touched Jesus, and then he began to worship. It is something that I've said in the past. I'm going to say it again because I think it is a profound theological thing. We celebrate today the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead as he said he was. We heard the song, but here's something you need to always think about. I am so glad that when Jesus rose, he rose wounded. I need you to think about that. I need you to think about that. He didn't rise whole. He rose with open wounds. Oh, you got to get that for a second. He, 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 he rises with the wounds visible so much so that they're still touchable. And with those open wounds, he rises. What does that mean? Can I help y'all for a second? If Jesus rose intact, there's no hope for you and me. I need to say that. If he rises with no wounds, there's no hope because his rising is not just something for us to, to, to look at and be overwhelmed by, but it's something that gives us hope. If he can rise with wounds, so then you and I can rise with the same open wounds. I'm trying to help somebody here today. Because, because here's the thing. So many of us live these wounded lives. We've been the victims of trauma and hurt and pain and abuse. And so many of us spend our time trying to cover up the wounds and cover up the damage and cover up the hurt, not realizing that you do more as a witness to the fact that you can rise still wounded than you could rising healed. Somebody here need to hear that today. No matter who you are, that he models this for us. So there's an old thinking that sometimes you got to get yourself together before you come into God's presence. No, with all your brokenness and all your damage and all your wounds, you ought to still be able to enter God's presence. I don't want to worship a God who can't handle me with my open wounds. I, I don't want to worship a God who can't honor me with my damage on this place. And can I tell you something else? I don't want to be around too many people who can't handle me when I'm broken and hurt and traumatized and wounded. I don't want to have to cover up anything or pretend. Jesus' wounds lead to Thomas' worship. You got to get that. That his worship 
is a byproduct of having come in contact with Jesus. Y'all going to get this, that Jesus's wounds were salvific for Thomas because somehow coming in touch with the open wounds gave birth to trauma, or rather to worship in top. What does that mean? Well, I want to talk now to those of us who can testify that you've lived with a legacy of woundedness. I don't know who I'm talking to today. Huh? Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Your wounds can only be salvific for someone else if you're not ashamed of your wounds. Oh, God. Jesus does not come hiding. He almost knows Thomas's request. And as soon as he gets into the house, he goes right to Thomas. Come here. Touch the marks. Put your fingers through the holes. Touch my side and understand this, that I don't stand here in front of you without blemish, without blood, without some bruising. I'm standing in spite of the bruising, in spite of the holes, in spite of the... Somebody in here today has to be able to testify to that. Then in spite of everything that I've been through, I'm still standing, still showing up, still present, hurt, crying, trauma, damaged, wounded, still here. Still here. Here, 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 here. Here's the thing. Um, if your wounds are going to have transformative power, you have to be willing to see your own wounds. What do you mean? There's some of us in here, whether we like to admit it or not, Alicia, who don't like seeing our own wounds. Because our wounds have a way of reminding us of the space and place where the damage took place. There's some of us who would rather cover up the wounds. We forget people seeing them. We don't even want to see them. We, we have a hard time looking at the wounds and the trauma and the damage because we don't want to face what the trauma and the damage has done to us. Just imagine here we are with our wounds, with our bruises, with our, with our bloodiness, with our, with our damage, and we don't want to see it because seeing it makes us face ourselves, And not just ourselves, but seeing our wounds makes us face the people we became because of the wounds. Oh, God. And we don't always want to see what we became because of the wounds. Why? Because that's why we spent so long trying to put makeup on the wounds and camouflage the chaos and disguise the damage because not that we were worried about other people seeing it. We didn't want to see it ourselves. Can you imagine when you get to the point when it's hard to look at you because when you look at you, all you see is your damage and all you see is your wounds and all you see is your pain and you don't see any possibility of getting better. That's why you cover them. That's why you camouflage. That's why you disguise. That's why you put the makeup on. Because you'd rather not see it. Although you live in the psychological aftermath of the trauma and devastation you've experienced. The only way your wounds are going to lead to someone's worship is if you're not afraid to look at them and be real about them. And be real about the damage that's done to you and the hurt that's come to you. Why lie? Why pretend? And the deep thing is that most folk can see him too. Well, no, no, no. Let me correct that. They don't see the damage. They see the character that was created after the damage. 
If your wounds are going to be transformative, you have to be willing to see them. And then can I tell you this next part? I'll be done. You got to then be willing to share them. I didn't say, I didn't say, I didn't say share your healing. I said share your wounds. It's a difference. It's a difference. When Jesus showed up before Thomas, he did not have scars. Y'all missed that. Scars are what happens when healing takes place and it takes some time for scar formation. He comes when the wound's still fresh and says, not look at him, but watch this, touch him. That means he has not built any insecurity about his wounds if he's not afraid for those to come close and touch the place of damage. Oh, God, are you hearing this today? You can't be, well, if you see him, that's one thing, but don't be afraid to share them. Now, there's a difference. I said this the other day. There's a difference because some of y'all share a little bit too much. Henry Nowen, Henry Nowen, the spiritual leader, said that's called spiritual exhibitionism. What do you mean? Y'all saying, Pastor, you confused me. You said share and don't share. No, it is not. It is not whether you share. It is the motivation behind the sharing. Because some people use their wounds as another way to garner attention. Oh, gosh. When you're being an exit, come look at me, look at me. What you're really doing is not hoping or believing in healing. You just believe somehow that people seeing what you're going through brings the empathy and the attention that you so desperately need because at the end of the day, it's the insecurity birthed by the trauma that you're trying to rectify and somehow getting more attention, more attention, more attention. You meet those for every time you talk, they're going to talk about what happened, what happened here, this what happened. No, they're not doing it for the sake of healing. They're doing it because they've had a hard time healing, but in the place of healing, they want more attention. So you don't share for the sake of attention or share to garner empathy. You share so that those around you can then see hope in what you've experienced. What does that mean? I, if I share with you what I'm dealing with right now, Serena, and yet I'm still showing up. I'm still doing what I'm called to do. I'm still honoring the assignment. What you are seeing is that my wounds did not wound my possibilities. Oh, God. That my wounds did not stop me from moving in the midst of my... Y'all not hear me today. Is there anybody here today? who can testify, Pastor, I showed up today limping a little bit. I came into this space hurt a little bit, but I still showed up. I still showed up. No matter what I've been going through, I was crying last night, but I showed up today because sometimes the victory comes what? In showing up. In showing up. Look at somebody and tell them, keep on showing up. Keep on showing up. Don't don't stop showing up. Don't don't stop letting your presence be known. Don't don't stop waking up every day, putting two feet on the ground and getting it moving. Don't stop doing the thing you've been called to do. Don't stop honoring your assignment. Don't stop honoring your gifts. Don't stop honoring your talents. Don't let the trauma get the last word. Share with people how you keep showing up. And sometimes you come in a little bloody and sometimes you're coming a little dirty and sometimes you show up a little damaged. You got to tell them I'm still here. That's stuff did not kill me. Oh, God. Those things that some folk thought would destroy me, I'm here to stand as a witness that what was meant to kill me could not destroy me. Why? Because I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep showing up. 
hurt and all, wounded and all, damaged and all. I'm going to keep showing up. Tell somebody, keep showing up. Here it is. You got to see the wounds. You got to share the wounds. But can I tell you this? Here's the key, and I'm done. Don't be defined by the wounds. Oh, there it is. No, I share them, I see them because they don't have power over me. And I will not be defined. What does that mean? Listen, listen, listen. I've taken a long time. This is me testifying now. I've invested a lot of time and energy in my healing. To the point, there was a time when the behavior, Alicia, connected to the trauma was synonymous with who I was. Y'all not hearing this part. The behavior, Rash, birthed from the trauma was how I defined myself. Who I was before the trauma was lost in the traumatizing space. And I began to live my life through the lenses of that which damaged me. And what I created in those moments wasn't even a shadow of myself. It wasn't me. Oh man, you gotta hear this. Because I let what I went through define who I was. Which means I accepted what happened to me and then said it was for me. When you begin to internalize the trauma in dysfunctional ways, you become an advocate for the traumatizing space or the traumatizers or the ones who cause the pain because you start saying, well, this was for me. This is what I deserved. And therefore, I will live my life this way. But you cannot. Your work is to get back and relive and bring back the one who existed before the trauma did its work. Oh, I hope you hear that today. I can pinpoint my traumatizing season. I was 10 when all hell broke loose in my life. 10 years old. And I did not get to the place of healing thoroughly until I was in my late 30s, early 40s. When I realized what had happened over the course of my life, I had to go back and get that 10-year-old boy and bring him up to speed. Oh, you got to get this. If I would have kept on living, right, two people would have been damaged. Me now and me then would have stayed that way because every now and again you got to go back and pick up the little boy and pick up the little girl who was damaged and don't leave them behind if you really going to be healed you got to go and rescue them from the place and spaces of their i hope you hear this because if you don't do that you will forever be defined by what you've gone through versus being redeemed by what you came out of You're going to get to a place you say, I refuse to be defined 
by this thing. It happened to me, but it ain't me. Oh, God. It was a part of my story, but it ain't the whole story. It was part of my journey, but it ain't the whole journey. And if I stay at my 10-year-old self, I'll never get to celebrate my 52-year-old self who can now, watch this. You don't even know. In the past few years, Rashi, I've been catching up on some parties that I missed. I missed my 11-year-old party and my 12-year-old party and my 13. I missed a whole lot of birthdays because I was stuck in that same place. I was 10 and never left. I was 10 and 25, 10 and 35, 10 and 40. And I had to go back and retrieve that boy. Because the place of your damage is often the place where you live for the rest of your life until you're healed. 10. Had a child at 10, got married at 10, went to school at 10. Y'all didn't catch that part. Living right there because I let it define me. And that became my existence. But no. Mm -mm. I've now gotten to the place where my wounds are redemptive. And I understand the power. Can I help somebody here today? Ain't we gone? Don't let your trauma define you. You got to get to a place where you are so adamant about your healing that no matter what gets in your way, you are committed to your healing. I'm going to tell y'all right now, the greatest investment you can ever make is an investment in your mental, emotional well-being and in your sanity so that you can begin to live free and alive. Folk don't understand, Ruthie. When they see you smiling now, they don't know how many tears made that smile. When they see you celebrating right now, they have no idea how many sleepless nights contributed to that celebration. I wish I had somebody in here. When folks see you now in church praising God, they have no idea what it took for you just to get up in the morning and start your journey. I wish I had about a handful of y'all today who can testify. You got to tell some folk, if you knew what it took for me to get to church on Resurrection Sunday. See, they only saw you in the moment, but you said this was a 10-year plan to get me where I am, where I could come into church and celebrate for real because of the things that I've been through. And guess what? I'm still here. And is there anybody in here today who can testify that here's why I praise God the way I do. Here's why I worship God the way I do. Because if you've been through what I've been through, you would understand the nature of my praise. Look at your neighbor and tell him, neighbor, I'm qualified to give God praise. I'm qualified to worship God. And if anybody asks you, what qualifies you? You tell them, my trauma qualified me. My pain qualified me. My hurt qualified me. My wounds qualified me. My despair qualified me. All the things I've been through qualified me for this moment right now. And if some of y'all in here today who now have come face to face with your healing. And when you get to a place where you're on the way to your breakthrough, that's the moment you begin to worship and you make no excuses for the way you praise God and no excuses for the way you worship God. And if folk looking at you funny because you sitting there running Mary or lifting up your hands, you tell them if you want a 
in my shoes, if you move in my life, you would understand the nature of my... Is there anybody here today? Look at your neighbor and tell them, neighbor, I got to give God glory today because God has redeemed me, delivered me, sustained me, kept me. And is there anybody here who can give God praise? Tell your neighbor, neighbor, if you're unqualified, get off of my pew because I'm about to give the Lord some crazy praise today. If you're not qualified to worship, get off of my robe because I need to worship with some folk who've been through some stuff. If you ain't been through nothing, you don't understand. In fact, look at your neighbor and tell them, neighbor, I've been through a lot. I might look good now. But if you saw me when I was broken, if you saw me when I was damaged, you wouldn't have thought I was going to make it to this day. I'm qualified. I'm qualified to give God my worship on this Resurrection Sunday. I don't know who you are. You might be saying to yourself, you know what, Pastor? I don't worship like that. I don't praise like that. Well, I know you might be saying that, but here's what I want you to do. Just look back over your life and think things over. And you can surely testify that if it had not been for the Lord on my side, I don't know where I would be. But because he looked beyond my faults and saw my needs, I can give God the glory. I can give God the glory. I can give God the glory. I can give God the glory for the great things. Hey, God has done in my life. I'm qualified. I'm qualified. To worship. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward.